The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I'm delighted to start a two-part series today, and I've been supported by our team with a few little uh, set pieces to kind of support us in this journey. We're doing a series called Wanderlust, more than just a road trip. Wanderlust, more than just a road trip. And um, this is a, a wonderful two-part series to talk to us about dreams that we have in our life. Dreams that we have of things we wish to accomplish or dreams we have for ourselves around the ways we want our life to unfold. Dreams that we may share about our collective experience together. Dreaming of greater peace and love and connection and coming together of people and dreams of of peace on our planet and peace in the earth ecosystem and all sorts of dreams that we have and dreams that we have for how we want to live out our life. And those dreams, when they get launched, they really become a journey that we then move on, that we move towards. And so I'm seeing this as a spiritual road trip that we can take together this week and next week to really deepen into what the journey might look like as we move towards our dreams. And today's message is called Destination, or Departure, excuse me, Departure, as we depart for those dreams. This was inspired by a road trip that I took with my beloved husband, Ken, in April. We set out on a road trip. Now, before we begin, I want to ask you, have you ever set out on a road trip or any trip or any choice for a dream for that matter, that you set out and you knew exactly how you were going to go and where you were going to go and where you're going to end up and it didn't go anything like you imagined? Anybody? Anybody besides me? Good. I have the right audience then. That's the first rule of guest spe- of speaking, isn't it? To know your audience. So, so this is what happened for Ken and me as we set off on a road trip to go to Phoenix. The intention of the trip was to see family and friends, but mostly for this trip, it was to participate in a family reunion for his family. His parents live in Phoenix, my parents live in Phoenix, and we had all these events planned with his side of the family. So we set out on our road trip here from Denver, we're driving along, and as we're on approach to Phoenix, about an hour and a half out of Phoenix, we get a call from my mother that she is having a health issue. And it turned out to be a pretty major health issue that landed her in the hospital. And most of our trip then, uh, we spent in the hospital supporting her. We did go to a little bit of the family reunion, but mostly we ended up supporting her. Now, I'm happy to say that that she is in great health now. She's actually here. She and my stepfather are here for the month of July visiting. So she's another special guest. Uh, she and my stepfather are here. Linda and Richard kissed to them, and I'm grateful that she's doing well. Yay. Yes. But it really got me to thinking about this notion that we have about traveling towards the good that we desire and the things that come up along the way and the journey itself and the road trip and all that took place on the road trip, including those events and others that I shall tell you about, became a metaphor for me that we can, I believe, use in our own personal and spiritual life as we head down spiritual road trips 
towards our dreams and desires. And so I want to start with, the. there are three things I want to address today, and there are probably three things next week that we will address, about how do you approach the most effective way these kind of road trips that occur. And so the first part of this talk is called Destination Decisions. Destination decisions. Firstly, of course, you have to decide where you're going. We had to make a conscious decision to say yes to the invitation to participate in the family reunion in Phoenix. But then a very important decision immediately arose, and that is that my husband and I both love our cars. Which car is the car we are driving? And I'm happy to say I won that debate. The SUV convertible won out over the BMW this trip. And so we put the top down a number of times and had a few windy experiences, and it was great. But it is about the vehicle, the the choice that we're making around the destination that we're going to and and who's going to be in the car, who and what am I taking on the trip. And this is an important decision. I want to just very briefly remind us that when we head out on a trip towards our greater good, there are people who want to be in the car with us around our dreams, and there are people that we want to be in the car or the vehicle with us, and there are people that we sometimes don't want to have be with us. Tormentors and mentors, right? (laughs) One of the greatest challenges, I think, in pursuing our dreams is that in the, in the world of practicality and in the world of people who sometimes love us and think they have our best interests in heart, they will try to talk us out of our dreams. That's not possible. Who do you think you are? And so I'm constantly reminding myself and others to utilize, don't re- just reject tormentors out of hat because we all need people who will question us and who will make us think about the journeys we're heading on and is it really the best thing for us and that sort of thing. I don't really mind a tormentor. I don't mind someone who questions me as long as once I've made the decision, I can be, that person can still support me unconditionally. But the tormentors who we all know, there are people in our life that we we share our our deepest desires and dreams with and they will constantly say, "You'll, you'll never do that. You can't do that. That's impossible. You can't do that. Or they'll remind us of all the times we tried to do that in the past and we've never succeeded. It's wise not to necessarily share our dreams and our destinations with those kind of tormentors. So we want to be sure that who is in the vehicle with us, who is in the dream with us, are people that we feel aligned with, they're people that can cheer us on, that can have our best interest in heart. That's a first destination decision. The next destination decision that's really important to consider is how specific do I want to be about my ultimate destination? I hear a lot of debate about this in our teaching. A lot of metaphysicians, spiritual people, personal help gurus will have an opinion about when you participate and you move towards a dream or a goal, you must be extremely specific about it. And then others who will say, don't be so specific. Just trust and flow and let it all happen, right? And so we get caught sometimes 
in what's the right way, what's the wrong way. And I have come to believe that it's both and. That neither way is right or wrong, but honestly, it depends on the journey that you're heading out towards. In this case, we were headed to Phoenix, destination. I did say later to my husband after this road trip, wouldn't it be fun to just have time and just get in the car and just start driving and go wherever we wanted and see where we end up? Kind of the flowy idea. To which he replied uncategorically, no. (laughs) He didn't like that idea at all. That's personal preference, and it, again, it has to do with the journey that one might be on. And so our teaching is such that it is, there's nothing wrong with choosing a specific destination in your life. Choosing to say, I choose to be healed of this illness or this disease. I choose a specific amount of of money that I want to make in my life every year. I choose the convertible car. Sometimes we back away from making these destination decisions, I think, out of fear or superstition. Our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, admonished us constantly to recognize that this teaching and utilizing these principles should never have an element of superstition within them. And so superstition might look like in this case, well, I can't choose to have too much money because then God will think I'm asking for too much. Or if we were admonished as children or somewhere in our lives for asking for too much or being too much or being selfish, we might approach the creative source and force of the universe as though it has some sort of limitation. As though it's somewhere going, now who do you think you are for asking for that? (laughs) And I believe that is not what the source is doing. To me, that would be like if we wake up in the morning and before we get out of bed, we say to gravity, please allow me to walk on the earth today. I'd rather not float. And we're afraid that gravity will think we're asking too much. (laughs) Gravity does not have the ability to approach us that way. It simply says, of course, my beloved, walk on the earth today. It's a principle. It's principled. It's how it works. God, the source, the infinite presence, does not have the ability to judge, bemoan, belittle your dream or my dream. So be as specific as you truly desire your dream to unfold. However, sometimes specificity has underneath it a fear and a controlling energy. It has to be this, 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 because I'm afraid of what else might occur. And so we sometimes get too specific out of a fear and controlling. Remember, it's never what we do, it's how we do it. The energy of how we do something is inherent in how it unfolds. So whether we're being specific or we're allowing something to unfold because I know that I feel, I will know that I'm there by the feelings that I have, we can allow ourselves to dance with it. I've heard the the voice of Edwin Gaines. She stood on this stage, beloved Edwin, teacher, speaker, author, minister, say very clearly to us at times, you never call up Sears and Roebuck and just say, send me something. (laughs) Right? Don't do that. So sometimes it's perfectly 
absolutely appropriate and important for us to be specific. Other times, we might choose to flow with it. I'm thinking in my own personal life that there have been times I'm really good at manifesting things in the world of effect that I might want, certain cars that I might want to have. That's why I have a convertible, because I said I want a convertible. Actually, the truth is I was going convertible, SUV, convertible, SUV, and I found both. (laughs) I can have it all, right? Then I remember years ago when I was here at Mile High on staff, I was a practitioner and we had a speaker here, a teacher, who was talking about the value of being specific and I wanted a relationship. And they said, make a list of everything you want in a relationship. And so I spent time on my lunch break all over the grounds here. I had a list that I carried with me. We didn't have these little devices back then. So I had a little piece of paper wadded up in my pocket that I carried with me everywhere that listed every trait that I could obsessively think about what I would want in a partner. This and that and I would put it away. And I found that I was really good at manifesting that little piece of paper too but I'd always forget something really important, like they were single or... (laughs) Available, straight, you know, I mean, I just had to add that to the list. The little things that do matter, yes. And so I finally backed away from that and said, you know, maybe I don't need to be so specific. Maybe I don't need to be so controlling around the manifestation of love and partnership in my life. And that was an example for me when I began to focus in on how will I feel in this relationship? How will it feel so I can flow with it? These are important destination decisions for us to consider as we're moving forward in our journey. Then I think we have to consider the importance of guidance. This is an area that I feel we suffer from so much in so many areas in that we have gotten out of touch with our true guidance. We are more attuned to guidance from out there. Guidance from the world of effects. Guidance from our own world effects. Guidance from what we see and hear on the news. Guidance from what we see from people. Guidance that is not necessarily true guidance. Now, guidance is available everywhere, including inner and outer. But what happens for us many times is that we are so focused and attuned to what other people are saying or thinking or what's the right thing or what's the right trends or what might happen that we've often lost our truest form of guidance. On our journey, on the road trip, Ken and I used a guidance system. We pulled up an app and we told it where we were going and it guided us along the journey. We could see where there might be delays. We could see how long it was going to take us and we listened to the guidance. For me in my personal life, around my personal dreams and desires, guidance looks like, am I willing, as willing as I turn on that guidance system in my car, am I willing to turn on the guidance system inside of me? which means that I have to consciously go turn on that app on the phone. I have to consciously turn on and turn towards the inner voice 
that I have, that you have, that we all have. We don't have it because certain people have it more than others or certain people are special or certain people are more tuned in. No, we're all tuned in. We are all tuned in. We all have that app in our beingness. We've been installed with it. It's, it's part of our operating system of our beingness. Whether you use it or not, totally up to you. And we could have gone on that journey to Phoenix. No app, no guidance system, no maps, but we probably would have gotten lost. And the challenge is that in our hearts, a lot of us are lost in our lives or feel lost, often because we're not utilizing the inner guidance that's available or we're not sure how to distinguish it. I hear a lot of people say, well, how do I know my inner guidance? How can I hear the voice? So let me give you a few clues of things that I've discovered in my life. What I've discovered about the guidance system, say on the phone, um, I I have in my Siri guidance, I, I can hear its voice because I made it talk to me like an Australian man, which I really like a lot, so it's really clear. But how do I hear the voice of guidance in me? What I notice about the Siri or Google or any of those guidance systems is that it will guide us to make turns or make a U-turn, and, and it, it's pretty neutral in its guidance, right? A lot of speakers and teachers will say, Siri or Google never says, make a U-turn, you idiot, right? <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't have the ability to shame us, to blame us, to, to make us wrong. In the same vein, that inner guidance within us, that's not the voice of guidance. If your inner guidance is saying, you should have turned around, you idiot, that's, not, that's probably not it. It has a neutrality about it, much like these apps do. And it has an intensity about it. You could have gone left. Maybe you should turn right. Take a moment and breathe. Yes, that feeling that we've all felt, the guidance system of our life, it's neutral. It's, if anything, if there's any quality to it, it might be loving. It might be the most loving, unconditional, accepting voice we've ever heard from anywhere. And it's there. And when we attune to it and allow it to have its way through us, we begin to hear that voice more clearly with regards to anything we desire. Our health, our well-being, our dreams, our desires, our finances, where to go and be of support and be a beneficial presence on this earth, what to do, what not to do. There is clarity when we listen to it. It also can't be forced. We have to let it. We have to be willing. We have to foster a willingness, especially if we're willing to accept and be rigorously honest with ourselves that we've been out of touch with that inner guidance because we're more concerned about what other people are thinking about us. Or we're more concerned about the fear that's, that's being shown to us in some realm of our life. Or we're more concerned about what's right than what is right for us. And so when we're listening and we take time to attune to that voice, it has this loving, neutral presence that can't be forced, but just flows, just flows to us. But there's also one key that I've sort of pointed to in this conversation about guidance that is truly important. We have to be someone who's willing to receive help. A lot of us are like little toddlers, 
I do it myself. I don't need help. I do it myself. I don't need your help. And we get offended when people offer us help or try to help. People who are guided, who are prosperous, who are attuned in every way are people who are willing to be helped, are willing to turn on the app and actually listen to it, are willing to hear that voice, are willing to receive help and support. There's a lot of jokes I found in looking for humor about men not asking for directions on road trips, right? We've all heard those jokes, apologies to my brothers, because I think that's an overgeneralization. I think a lot of us are unwilling to stop and ask directions, not only when we're on a road trip, but when we're on a spiritual road trip. So the fact that you're here today in church is an indication that you're willing to receive help. So give yourself credit for that. We all can do that. Because when we come together in spiritual community, it means I am willing to be guided in my life. And that guidance may come from whomever's speaking, of course, or from the music. But it often comes out in the hall as you're hugging on somebody. Or you hear something in the community center. Or you work with a practitioner prayer partner. And that's one thing I want to talk about. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, was brilliant in my estimation because he devised as the first ecclesiastical support in our teaching the role of practitioner, practitioner prayer partner. Their role in life is because he said, no matter how spiritually advanced you may think you are, no matter how, how amazing your life is, there will come times when you are moving towards some good you desire and you will bump into yourself. You'll bump into your own mental equivalence about what's possible. You'll start to hear those voices of the tormentors or, you're, or you'll hear the voices of the culture or what's possible or not. And we all need people in our lives who will stand with us and see the truth of who we are when we can't see it for ourselves. And so Holmes devise the notion in the office of practitioners to be people who practice on a daily basis this going within and feeling into and hearing the voice of that divine guidance, not only for themselves, but for the church and for the world, and then will walk hand in hand with us and hold our hand and love us and listen to us and see us, and when we're clear about our destination, will prayerfully uplift us towards that journey, that we can always have someone beside us, no matter how lonely we may think we are, how many mentors or tormentors we have, we always have at our disposal our practitioner prayer partners. Brilliant, brilliant support system. And so we all have guidance. So being willing to receive and embrace this guidance, invaluable. And then the last one I want to talk about today is about staying on track. In the last year or so, I went on a new plan of eating. And uh, I've shed some weight, and some of you have commented about that, and I appreciate that support, and I'm very happy about that. And what I've noticed is that the changes that I have made have impacted me in a long-term way that I had touched into before but never fully realized. And that is that those changes of letting go of certain things that no longer serve me or serve my body have allowed me to dip into a deepened sense, a heightened sense of guidance and support, a clarity. So here we are in this journey along the road from 
firstly, uh, going into some experiences that might be trigger points for us. Road trip equaling junk food, right, in the past? I know for many of us, we get into a kick or a habit, whether it's our prayer habit or our exercise habit or eating a certain way, and then we go on vacation and, yeah, I'm on vacation. I read, I saw a meme uh, that was really funny that, uh, that somebody wrote about, uh, about road trips that said that when you go on a road trip, um, here, where is it, these... Uh, where did it go? Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, buying snacks for a road trip should always look like an unsupervised nine-year-old was given $100. <laughs> right? <laughs> Cheetos, well, here comes the list, right? <laughs> but I found myself feeling really committed to staying on track. And, and, being connected to the, this plan. I also found this cartoon of a, two women are talking together and uh, the woman says, no, I didn't cheat on Bob. It's worse than that. I cheated on my diet. <laughs> so this is what happens. We get tempted. We get tempted by things that have been past triggers, which that has been for me in the past. But I found my, my ability to stay on track served me. And then when we get to Phoenix... And here's my beloved mother, whom I'm very close to, who I adore. And she's walking through challenge after challenge. And Ken and I are finding ourselves in intensive care, waiting outside for her. What a perfect time it would have been to grab the comfort food. But I didn't. And I found myself, along with him, praying and meditating I found along the journey that I was able to stay present on the journey, that the trees were greener, the scenery was more beautiful, the the time with him, beautiful and fun and laughter and the conversations rich, and then even walking through a crisis, staying on track allowed me to be present to her and to my stepfather and to people on the journey and be right there with the doctors and the processes and be present. And so what I think happens is that we get going and we abdicate our good for the sake of the crisis that's in front of us. Now, the program that I've been doing includes wonderful videos from the founder that are called vlogs. She calls them vlogs, Susan Pierce Thompson, and I've learned a lot from them. But one of the things that I learned about that I think this is, this is a part of is something called Keystone Habits. This is a book that was written by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habits. He talks about keystone habits are the notion that we have one or two Key habits that when we stick with them, they up-level all of our other choices and desires. And isn't going for a new dream or creating a whole new life or walking towards our greater good, it involves a whole, whole complicated set of forging new habits. What they're suggesting here in this book is that when we keep our keystone habit or habits in place, no matter what that it up-levels the journey and allows us to stay on track more powerfully. He says these habits are big or small, 
changes that can make success in many aspects of life far easier, regardless of the circumstances you face. These habits unlock a cascade of other positive behavior changes with far less effort than establishing a single habit from the ground up. Some examples that he gives include exercise, food journaling, making your bed every day. Why? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Visualization, spiritual practice, a prayer life. And I'm doing a number of things on this list, and it really, really has clearly helped me and I think I understand it. I remember that, that Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, used to run every day, which I thought was admirable. But then he came to visit us in Phoenix at my church, and here it is, 115 degrees, and Wayne had gone out for a run. And I remember thinking, why? Why would you do that, right? But I know now, and I thought maybe he was a little obsessive about it, but I, I know and I understand now. This was a keynote habit for him. To do his run every day uplifted everything. And we all have these keystone habits. And finding those can uplift us on our journey, can help us. That no matter what, we don't abandon our key practices. So if I'm on vacation, I don't abandon my meditation. If I'm on a road trip, I don't abandon the thing I've committed to. I find a way to do my spiritual practice or my exercising or my food journaling or whatever it might be. And it uplevels everything. And it allows us to face what inevitably will happen on a journey towards our greater good that we'll talk a lot more about next week. Obstacles, disappointments, unexpected occurrences that show up being able to receive them and deal with them. This week, what I'm asking us to do is to either visit a dream or a destination in life that you've been considering or even one that you have been actively working towards and join me in these practices. Consciously make your destination decisions as we've just been talking about consciously choose to listen for guidance, even if it's to take five minutes every day and contemplate that dream, that desire, and listen to the inner voice. And then find a keynote habit and stay on track with it just for this week. And when we come back next week, we will continue to forge forward on this spiritual road trip together towards our dreams. I love what Julia Cameron says, and I'd like to close with it. She says, as you move towards a dream, the dream moves toward you. This week, I can feel our dreams moving towards us together. Let's embrace them now. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org. Peace out, friends.